Welcome to Road to Consensus, the podcast designed to help you get smart before Consensus 2019. I'm your host, Nolan Bowerly, and today we're joined by Tyler Spaulding, co-founder of Flexa. So Tyler, great to have you in the uh, in the booth recording with us, Road to Consensus 2019. Of course. It's awesome to be here. Thanks for having me. And you're behind one of the most innovative platforms I've seen in a long time, uh, Flexa. A really clever thing. Um, I've used it a few times already with the demo that you sent me, and I'm having a great time. Uh, buying coffee with crypto. Uh, Who would have thought it would be so easy? <laughs> it is really easy, right? It, it was as easy an, an experience as I've ever had buying coffee. It was as simple and brain-dead simple as, as it could be. Yeah, that's uh, that's kind of been the intent from the beginning. Even myself, uh, when I first found out or discovered Bitcoin back in early 2011, I saw it and just said, "Yeah, this." I'm like, uh, I was actually mining too, so it got into. It was the only way you could really get it. It was yeah. before you could. There were no fiat on ramps or anything like that, and it was like, "Wow, this is going to change the world immediately." And I just thought. Uh, Visa, MasterCard, all because at this point you could send money permissionlessly, and it was also really, really fast and no fees back at that time. So I just thought, wow, the the world's going to change almost overnight, and it's taken a little bit longer than some of us have expected. But the cool thing is that we just kind of figured out why, uh, and there's a lot of reasons why. Um, not only some of the technical components, but when you look at it purely as a merchant acceptance vehicle, people talk all the time of, well, it's not accepted anywhere. Merchants don't use it, and when they do, no one. Uses uses it and they just drop it anyway. And there's all sorts of reasons for that. And and the main piece is that merchants have one way of viewing things and what they're looking to do and their businesses they've run for hundreds of years. And even if there's this other great new technology that people are using, they're not always immediately compatible. So sort of to, to your point about the ease and and what we've really built. Flexa is a new payments network that got created by a co-founding team of people that had decades of payments experience. And so let's let's cover that quickly sure. because you are kind of meeting these two worlds in the middle. Uh, I would, I guess, describe it as a secure integration of legacy system is a bit of a stretch because the systems that you guys are integrating with are not that old. They're, they're of that sort of 05 uh, vintage when a lot of these more mobile payment platforms came online. So your background really is in that environment. So that's, I guess, how a person like you even got to Bitcoin in 2011. You were already looking at the space at a professional level. Yeah, it's kind of like the the weeds in the forest are like the, the cave of payments kind of splunking around for years and seeing all the complexity, how things don't work, why it's so opaque. And more importantly, there's actually the even bigger part is, especially when it comes to simple things around using a payment card or swiping a credit card, there's, there's up to 12 entities involved in processing that transaction and they're not doing it for free. Right. They're all taking a little piece out of that. And if something were to change, I mean, they're really entrenched. So not only legally, operationally, just the flow of how this works for a merchant to change that or to impact that, uh, it's a really big undertaking. And that's why they're just really strong incumbents. And we and our team has had that experience of uh, maneuvering around and understanding how things work, what what doesn't work, who are the players, uh, gatekeepers. Um, how do funds get routed? Not only just that, when you're in a store environment, it's actually even more complex because there's also their hardware. So there's multiple tiers of hardware. There's a POS system. There's maybe a scanner. There's a terminal. All then the software that runs all of those and then their backend systems. Then a lot of effort's already gone into training user behavior and consumer behavior to use all these options in the first place. Yeah. Yeah. And make it as simple as possible. And then there's even... 
especially in the U.S., we're, we're addicted to credit. It's easy, right? So th- this is actually a really key point is, so on the merchant side, even as I just explained some of this, like this is really frustrating. You have all these other entities. It's really expensive. Merchants don't control their payment processing. They don't get to make these decisions on their own. But so to them, it's very frustrating and very, I guess, broken. You even saw an announcement recently. Uh, Kroger even said, we're just not accepting Visa anymore because of a variety of reasons, mainly due to cost. But if you take the flip side, if you go pull someone off the street and you say, hey, our payment's broken, we'll say no. They work great. I, I pull my plastic card out of my pocket. I swipe it, and I actually get points on top of that. So you're telling me that this doesn't work very well? I can use my piece of plastic everywhere. So that's where there's actually some some challenge, which is on one side, it's very, very convoluted, complex, hard to fix, but it's very broken when looking at it from that perspective. But on the other side, kind of the network, the two-sided network, and the consumer side, everything works great. Mm-hmm. Um, so what do you need to change? So. Now you're really in that step of how do you get the 10x multiplier? People always talk about for any technology or product to get accepted and really, really saturate, you need to have that. How do you make it 10x better? It's pretty easy to make it 10x better on the merchant side. But now you got to couple that with actually consumers that want to use it and give them some also benefit. And at Flexo, we absolutely believe that's there. But now it's about building the right service, not only for merchants, but then consumers and our other partners, um, they'll hopefully then start to work with us too. So when I looked at your system, what I really liked about it is it seems to me that it's a permissionless system. You're able to onboard merchants that you don't need to get their permission to do it in the first place. You can actually integrate and have your system use Bitcoin to pay on those platforms without signing them to a deal. Sort of. So from an integration perspective, yes, and that we know kind of how these merchants, the systems they use or how to make things backwards compatible. So we actually, we put a lot of work into making sure what we build was was as plug and play as possible. Um, But we actually do absolutely require uh, each and every merchant to sign up to work with us because... The reason there is uh, sort of our mission is that we want the merchants to be in control, right? We don't want to just take the existing system, change it into something else, and just say, all right, it's going to work similar. Now there's a new entity that owns this. We really wanted to flip the script and say, we understand the merchant side, and we want to really work with the merchants to, to give them the tools and give them the experience and give them the control and the input that they've never had before or haven't had recently so yeah, um, so, but, but I would say that's on a th- that's about being uh, having a strong business character, doing things the right way from a from a business to business point of view. From a tech point of view, you don't need the permission in a, in a in a very technical sense. You can actually integrate with almost any POS uh, of a big store in North America on your own if you wanted. If you didn't have those high standards of business practice. It'd still be close uh, because, again, when I talk about like a provisioned API or something, right, you need to be able to get access to it. But we've got our system modular to where we're ready to go. But, yeah, ultimately, we would need the merchant to flip something on for us. Um, They're giving us pretty kind of novel ability to work with them. So there's a lot of trust there in that they're giving us access um, to work with their systems in certain ways. Um, So I would actually say that is very critical, which some people even say, oh, well, that's going to make it really hard to scale. But I actually look at it as, No, that's one of the greatest things about our network is that you're getting buy-in from everyone. Uh, We're not doing something on our own. We're going to get each and every merchant to recognize the value of what we're doing, see the value of what we're doing, 
and then ultimately have them participate to where it's going to be an even much stronger network in that capacity. Really interesting. So you've got all these merchants using all of these different payment terminals, right? And now a lot of these merchants are paying for these payment terminals uh, to, to help power their system. They're each of them paying these networks. That's also not something you guys are involved in. You can work with any one of these payment terminals, and you're not out there taxing any of these merchants in order to get the uh, this this sort of user flow uh, in place. Uh, yeah, generally, and and to be honest, uh, we we envision a future where we can get fees as close to zero as possible, yeah. uh, which allows us to be very agnostic of what hardware we use, uh, what software we use. Uh, again, the way we sort of looked at it too is that we're building a network from the ground up. This is actually something, as a topic around payments in, in blockchain or cryptocurrencies, there's probably 50 other projects at least uh, that are trying to solve this problem or have made some attempts at it. And in almost every single case, if not every single case, you're taking a cryptocurrency product and you're bolting it on to an existing infrastructure or using some other component that already exists, like a prepaid virtual debit card, uh, or just even a, a debit card based from a bank account. Uh, there's a lot of other companies that are doing it. And those those could be interesting and they could work. But the reality is, if you have the system that already exists, and I'm going to bolt something on top of it, you're never going to make it cheaper. It's never going to be faster. It's, it's just never. Another, it's just another layer of the cake. Yeah. And we're looking at, we're going back to the beginning, 10x. Mm-hmm. How in the world do you ever end up at 10x where from your first step, you're already negative? Mm-hmm. Every single time. There's no way you can build a crypto payment product on top of any of the existing networks and have it ever be better than what's already there. Because mm-hmm. just like you said, it's another layer to the cake. And so the way we've approached it is, something new and something separate that doesn't use any of those other legacy components uh, and tries. So the real vision is trying to get the merchant to the consumer as absolutely close as possible. When you think about transaction or commerce, if I'm paying you for something, it's my funds or my asset or my thing paying to you, and we're going to now conduct commerce between each other. That has always been the way that it is, whether it was a store, whether it was a local street vendor or whatever it all was. But it's evolved now into this more complicated system where there's all these other middlemen. And so our general vision is how do you just remove as much of that as possible? And you're getting the merchant as close as possible to the consumer. And then they can, you know, they can interact. They can set the terms of how they want to interact. You don't need to be taking value out of that system. That just doesn't need to happen. And I would say that from what I've seen from those people trying to solve the problem uh, that you're describing, at some point they build a user flow that that really defeats the purpose and becomes a, just another pull transaction where you're having to share these inf- these details about yourself so that someone can come into your account and pull the money out and then complete the transactions. When you say have the consumer and the merchant as close as possible, sounds an awful lot like cash, a push transaction. Here's the cash. See you later. And from what I understand of Flexa, it is a push transaction, and it mimics the behavior of cash, which is one of the great features of a cryptocurrency to begin with. Mm-hmm. The finality of it. It doesn't go backwards. Yep. Here's the money. And, and is, that, is that the reason why cryptocurrency fits so well with the way that you've designed this? Because you can't go backwards in Bitcoin. Once the money is sent... That's the way it works. That's actually one of the real critical and and why in building our system, why we wanted to use cryptocurrencies even to begin with. They have that really interesting uh, characteristic. And I always like to kind of say jokingly to people, and you can read online and see things of blockchains in general aren't great technologies. They're really slow, bloated databases that just aren't really performant in general. Um, so 
in my just kind of rough, you know, not being cynical, uh, again, I've been in, in a, a Bitcoin participant for, for man, nine years at this point. So I'm very, very in uh, and I'm a very big fan. In maybe 98% of things, blockchains don't do them very well. And that's why they weren't used. Uh, distributed database is going to be great. And various um, kind of elements of centralization and the way that things work right now, it's, it's great. It's performant. It's what customers want. It's what merchants want. It's what any other participants want. But the one thing that cryptocurrencies do, or one thing they do very well, is being able to validate the actual value or that a transaction has occurred or that someone actually does 100% have an asset and an address. So that allows for really interesting things around the cost and, and completely eliminating fraud in a payment transaction. So one of the highest costs in payments is fraud. Um, so not only is just kind of as we talked about the middlemen and, and all these other components, like fraud and, and payment fraud, especially online, is very, very – in fact, I could take your uh, your credit card and go use it somewhere. Like fraud is very, very prevalent. Well, it's extremely like, like, so expensive. She said fraud is just an accepted uh, part of doing business. Yeah, yeah. And, and I would absolutely make the case that it's not, at least not now, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, because – you can show up, and as long as you have the private key to something, you can authorize a transaction. And now that is a immutable, uncensorable, guaranteed transaction. And when I see that, it's like, wow, that is what me with my selfish lens of we really love payments. That is just for me what a blockchain almost was made for. Um, we talk about you know even in the original white paper of a you know peer to peer cash system, electronic mm-hmm. cash. Like that is awesome too. Like mm-hmm. that's something I really believe in. I think there's so much value in that. And now as you expand it to allowing merchants to interact with that, uh, because it's really challenging. There's tax concerns, security concerns, all, all other pieces on the technology side. But if you can enable something like that, that's wow, it's really powerful. So kind of rewinding back to that, yes, um, cryptocurrencies have that one extremely valuable feature to us and our system, which is we can guarantee the ownership of some funds, which then allows us to eliminate fraud in our system. And by doing that, it allows us ultimately to make a transaction end to end with what you've experienced and the quickness and and the user experience for pennies. Mm-hmm. And, and that, we think, is really revolutionary. And, and so the only fraud possible really comes back to the same kind of fraud that's possible with cash, as in I steal your wallet and Absolutely, buy a thing. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We hear a lot of buzz right now around layer two scaling innovations around Bitcoin. But yours really goes around that and, and offers something completely different. Um, do you sometimes think about what kind of role the current Layer 2 scaling uh, initiatives like Lightning could play when a system like yours is about to come online and just sort of uh, take a lot of momentum towards the coffee-buying uh, uh, challenge that's been put towards cryptocurrency? Yeah, wow. That's um, I could probably talk about that one for quite a while. Um, but if I kind of break it a little, it's so one. Um, I'm definitely a fan of uh, layer two scaling. I think there's a lot of interesting. It's it's there can be a lot of complexity, especially when it gets to anything of like kind of cross chain transactions or things of that nature. So there's there's actually a lot of complexity to how that could work. Um, but assuming it kind of gets to where we have ambitions of, I mean, I really. I'm generally behind the idea for sure and think there's a lot of potential with it. But sort of kind of a little bit of the theme of, as I've been talking about, is on the merchant side, though, or an accepting perspective, you haven't really changed that much. Layer 2 is going to be about um, speed and efficiency or, or maybe cost of within the blockchain network. 
But now, even if that were to then be a case, and you want to use Bitcoin in its native form at a merchant, well, now all of a sudden, going to your cash example, it's not the same anymore because a blockchain transaction is now going to be public. So if you're a merchant, do you want all of your customers pseudo-anonymously and identifiably interacting and buying things with you for now the entire world to see your database of transactions? Probably not. And in fact, that's something that merchants spend a lot of money and is their competitive advantage. Yeah, right. It's how they do marketing, right? Use our customer database. They're not going to openly share all these other transactions, what people have bought and timing and all these other things. So I'm a believer that at least in the current state and for quite a while that we are going to want the actual transactions to take place off chain. And that's, again, how Flexa has been architected to enable that. And so that's kind of step one is that the on-chain transactions even if anonymous, still provides some complexity. Um, but then beyond that, even with something like a Lightning Network on Bitcoin fully implemented and working exactly as advertised, you're still going to run into some of the complexities of, and these are solvable, but they're complexities of, if I'm a merchant, now all of a sudden, I still need to hold Bitcoin somewhere and somehow. I'm going to be more vulnerable about, about theft. Um, uh, volatility, even if there's some volatility always, uh, and then even, man, more challenging is potentially taxes, right? So in the current situation in the U.S., the IRS is saying that cryptocurrency is property. So if I'm a merchant accepting cryptocurrency natively, uh, when I sell that, I have to realize a tax gain or loss. And so now all of a sudden, that's a huge, another burden for me. Mm-hmm. And there are companies and other projects in ours that, that eliminate or obfuscate some of that. So it's not unsolvable. But that's where the challenge comes in, is not only is the on-chain transactions, but then all the other myriad of components around holding Bitcoin, receiving Bitcoin. Because even the logic of, so an exchange, they've been around for a while, and they still run into issues around confirmations, or when is a transaction final? These are things that have to roll into a merchant, (laughs) a merchant that just wants to get paid. They want to get paid really, really quickly, easily, they want as as cheaply as possible. They're not political about it. Yeah. They don't have sentiment. Well, well, not only that, but like now you'd have to educate their team and say, all right, well, eight confirmations is okay for this. But, oh, if the network is happening here or if the network is ingested, actually, this transaction might not go through. Oh, this is going to cost more. You actually have to wait 30 confirmations for this token now. Like a great example is what we saw with, and not getting too deep into this, but like the 51% network attack on uh, some of the proof of work systems like Ethereum Classic, for instance. Some exchanges I've seen are into like thousands of confirmations before they'll actually allow you to trade with those tokens. And so those are things that a merchant is just never equipped or do they even want to really think about. There's a philosophy behind it. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't want to do it. Right. If I want if you're going to pay me something, if I'm just going to, you know, sell you something right now and I have to think about all those things of, oh, what are you giving me? And is it really mine? Do I have to think about like that's just not math that's really going to happen. And and to make it again, going back to the 10x or making it really tenable for them and seeing value, even if there's value in other things, like these are, man, that's tough. Mm-hmm. So the, the 10x goal, we can trace it back to your early origins of your company. You guys have actually been around for almost uh, over a year now, mm-hmm. but you've been in stealth building this whole time. So let's go over that year. I want to know really about the care that went into uh, product development and product design. So what kind of feedback did you guys get? Where did you go for that feedback? And what were the lessons that you learned and things that surprised you along the way uh, that you never would have thought knowing what you knew about the industry beforehand that suddenly became a priority for you guys? 
Oh man, uh, there's a lot there too. So first, yeah, we just have, uh, as I mentioned, our, our team uh, having so much experience in payments, but we're also, we like to think we're very proud product people and we have a really strong product team, uh, particularly on the mobile side. And so from day one, we try to get a prototype out there in people's hands um, as quickly as possible, just to see how they'd interact with it. And and because again, we knew that we could ultimately, based on our relationships with merchants and re- and really listening and having them guide us on some of this, like we we felt confident that over the amount of time we could we could get there and we could build that side of it. But now on the consumer side, understanding how people might want to spend crypto, do they want to spend crypto? What type of crypto do they want to spend? Or the, what pretense? Some of the interesting things I think through all of that was even starting off, we used to show a lot of the, the we allow people to deposit different types of cryptocurrencies, but in one instance we thought, oh well, we're gonna show it all in, in Bitcoin or Ether and the actual Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And uh people ended up saying, No, no, I just want to show the dollar, what's my purchasing value? Right? Like I don't even really need I've now and this is a cool kind of philosophical state, I get a mental state of it's a spending app. Mm-hmm. So I have now committed my stuff into this app to spend to show me the utility of the spending. So it's not speculative anymore. People aren't then looking at, oh, how much Bitcoin? They just want, what is my purchasing power mm-hmm. uh, in whatever currency that might end up being? So in the US dollars. And so that was something we saw. And right now, it is only dollars that are that you guys are. Uh, it's only U.S. merchants for now. For now, yes, uh, there'll be some hopefully some really uh, great announcements we'll be able to share and talk through in the near future around uh, what it can look like going forward. Well, the, <laughs> yes. the reason I bring it up is is look, frankly, the your your captive crypto audience is running around the world at a pretty hectic pace. You know, I was just in South by Southwest with Willie Wu, and he was telling me he's been to 22 countries uh, last year. And he's pretty indicative of the entire industry. People are getting around. And, you know, if your app worked as seamlessly in Europe as it does in America or in Japan, it would be a tremendous tool for people because they would never have to think about foreign exchange again. You'd have this spending app and you could do your crypto around the world lifestyle and never have to think about it. Yeah, that's absolutely a goal. Um, and not only just that, not only is that cool from a user perspective of I have assets that I can now spend anywhere, even more importantly, the crypto communities are absolutely global. I mean, they're everywhere. Mm-hmm. So to think that, I mean, even though there's a really big retail market in the U.S., to think that and isolate it to you know, New York or San Francisco or anything else would not be... Close. Yeah, yeah, absolutely Global and not. global. Yeah. They're running around, you know? Yeah, now they just... Yeah, and other projects um, that we've worked with and some of the other partnerships that uh, we look forward to kind of elaborating on much more. Um, I mean, they are global. We have we have partners probably in, yeah, 10, 10 different countries. And then not only that, certain projects, they even have their teams distributed all over the world. So it's absolutely intended from day one to be a global product. So the way that we're thinking about things, design decisions, software decisions, but for now, just to, you know, trying to... As a startup, it's always easy to see all the really big and ambitious things that we can do. But at the same time, we're trying to just narrow it down, get the focus clean, uh, really show the value to everyone. And then it'll be very much more straightforward to us to um, kind of grow from there. Now, when you go and meet all these partners, the merchants themselves, that obviously was a big part of that product R&D. From their angle, and and I want to sort of get a peek into their minds because you've really dealt with some of the biggest names in retail and merchant uh, brands in America Mm -hmm. from what I've seen so far. And 
is it a, you know, do they say, okay, what we want is to really be able to have that kind of retail marketing to say, oh, we now accept cryptocurrencies. Is that something that's on their agenda or are they still afraid of that? I'm trying to just gather the barometer here of what's going on because the access that you've had over the past years is, is pretty interesting. Oh, man, that's a, that's a great question. Um, it's sort of across the board, honestly. It's a full spectrum mm-hmm. uh, and not always what you'd expect. Uh, sometimes you have some of the largest merchants that you think are a little behind that have a lot more of a progressive attitude. So of, saying, oh, we want to be able to tell our customers we can yeah, take crypto. And, and this is interesting yeah. because even outside of all some of the stuff we talked about, at the end of the day, it's they want to be able to process payments as cheaply and easily as possible. And if their customers have this stuff, they want to accept it. Mm-hmm. So they're not even saying, oh, we only want to accept mm-hmm. cryptocurrencies. We want to accept everything. Whatever our customers have that come to us and pay efficiently, easy, and everything else. Oh, and by the way, then we don't have to pay as much. Like, that's just... So from that perspective, they're very excited. But it is hard to understand, especially when a lot of the stuff you read, it's very hard to find authoritative information, particularly on the merchant side or practicality side, outside of speculation or all these other projects. And how do I get this? And then you even see some of the other, I guess, just, uh, I guess, even FUD itself of, you know, exchange get hacked. Or you'll, you'll hear some stories even recently about, you know, an insolvent exchange and things like that. Those are stories that get picked up by mainstream media. And when you read about it, it's a little frustrating sometimes. It's like, you know, we know what could have happened, but the way it gets painted as, oh, this is now vulnerable and this can be stolen or or even worse when, when you know, there was a lot of information about, oh, this is used for, you know, the dark web and it's all these illegal activities. Um, and, and there are some merit to a lot of this, too. So it's by no means just completely wrong, but depending on how it's packaged, how it's read. Yeah, right? So there's all of that. So as a merchant um, looking at it, some, depending on their size, have looked at it as like, wow, this could still be very interesting um, because as a payment method, if it's cheap and our customers have this, this is really interesting to us. Others are saying, oh, yeah, all that stuff out there, just our corporate branding and the way that we're looking at this, we're just not ready yet. Mm -hmm. Or looking at someone else to take the first step. Mm -hmm. Uh, And when that happens, I think then they'll kind of recognize because they all want to be competitive. But it is interesting to see that it's sort of on all those points, that there isn't one particular chorus being sung from from what is a a really established part of, of American industry. Yeah, uh, but you know what will <laughs> what will will change that tide is I hope when Flexa launches and our partners are able to now use this and others, if people start spending cryptocurrency mm-hmm. and they start using it in the way that we've all dreamed of, and this is actually a volume generating event where people, after all this time, whatever crypto it is, start spending, mm-hmm. that will be a tsunami around all this you because. Might. That is it. Amazing. You might you might start seeing other names jump in two feet first when they never thought of it even this Absolutely. year. Absolutely. Yeah. Because that's the bottom line. Yeah. If customers have it and people want it, because this is what we need to prove. Mm-hmm. We've talked about it a lot. User experience, mm-hmm. uh, merchant acceptance, all these other things. Mm-hmm. People don't spend these things. Mm-hmm. And I believe that to be true. Mm-hmm. And so I also believe that with the right tools, the right approach, the right network, mm-hmm. and then the right cryptocurrencies um, that are now getting created now that are then more spendable, mm-hmm. stablecoins being a great example. Mm-hmm. When you look at the utility that stablecoins can provide, now you're starting to get some of the picture uh, ingredients mm-hmm. that maybe that can, and we, we believe for a variety of reasons, that adds up and, wow, that's going to be a big difference. Mm-hmm. That will change the tide overnight if after 10 years of 
not many users of cryptocurrency. We have a lot of speculators and buyers and things like that, but not many users. And that I'd changes. Say, and, I, and I'd say uh, we have one more. There is one more thing that is less spoken about, but because we we are running a developer event uh, within Consensus called Construct this year. And part of my sort of um, marketing lines around it, like I'm not doing the marketing on the event, I'm doing the content on the event, but I'll often talk to people. And, and you know, what I've concluded is, you know, crypto and, and all these different coins might be uh, outside of the mainstream for users like you're describing. But for people like you, developers, it's not, ma- it's not obscure. It is mainstream for developers. This stuff for people like you that are building tools, if you would meet uh, another colleague who's not working on crypto and you said you were building a crypto app, they would not be, they would not fall out of their chair and say, oh, my God, what are you doing? Right. True. But even to even a little to that end of the merchants that have accepted cryptocurrencies, like generally don't see a massive uptick in volume. Right. And so that's been something that's pretty well documented that even some merchants that have jumped in a little bit more quickly and have looked at the risk and the complexities and everything else, it generally hasn't made that much of a difference. Um, that's why they've been abandoned. You know, yeah. there was already a generation of this stuff built in 2014, and it's kind of been, exactly. uh, it's died on the vine. Yeah. And yeah. and there's been some uh, companies out there, for sure, that have been moderately successful, uh, but nothing... There's no payment, no crypto facilitating payments companies that are going to be going public or have raised money at billions of dollars of valuation. Mm-hmm. The ones that you see are fiat on ramps and exchanges, mm-hmm. <laughs> and so mm-hmm. that's where the activity has been. And mm-hmm. and I, I again, um, I put uh, and and my team, we put a lot of time and effort into this. So as you mentioned, more than a year at this point. So we do believe some fundamental tenets around how it will start to evolve with different types of tokens, Mm -hmm. the acceptance components, uh, regulatory clarity, a lot of other factors we think are all coalescing really soon. And there's a certain maturity on that crypto side of things, because until now, it's only been the inherent qualities of Bitcoin, which behaves a lot like gold, so Mm -hmm. people aren't always ready to part with it. And then the other part, which invited speculators because it was the first smart contract to scale, which was early stage liquidity and financing your company and and launching an ICO and and all Mm -hmm. that stuff. So you didn't really see coins like this new stable coin uh, push in the past few months that people didn't care to hold on to for very long. They were not created and designed for uh, uh, sitting on and and, and growing in wealth. They're really designed to be very fast, have a lot of velocity, and to get out of your pocket, which would line up quite well with your your app. Mm -hmm. And that's sort of where the industry is, is, is. We can now clearly see that we're in that era. Yeah, and for us, just selfishly, um, you know, we're really, really focused on payments. So those are the things that we see, mm-hmm. and we recognize the value of what blockchains and other cryptocurrencies and projects can absolutely add massive value to that. Um, I also think there'll be other industries or other types of projects, whether it's um, file storage or data streaming, or other things like that, that could be really interesting. Or, um, or for your, if you, in your case, it could be loyalty points. We saw a lot. We see a lot of enterprises R and Ding internal loyalty. points points, which really do work well in a, in a cryptocurrency type environment. Would there be on your roadmap something like that, where, say, a, a large box store created a, a really dexterous cryptocurrency loyalty point? Could you guys actually fill that role one day as a, a, a middle person that can convert Delta Sky Miles to United uh, loyalty points because they were able to go through your app and, and be used to purchase stuff? Uh yeah. Uh, wow. Yeah. No, you, you got that one. Um, uh, without going into too much details, that is extremely interesting to us. Uh, 
main. <laughs> Everyone wants liquidity there, man. Yeah, I'm well, it's just it. the main. It's the easy answer of. So let's even abstract away some of these things. Like, I'm I'm going to go buy Bitcoin with my dollars. I'm going to buy Bitcoin and then use Bitcoin to buy something. It's just there's an extra step again that doesn't really make that much sense. You're losing, yeah. but. Let's say on the loyalty tokens or other types of tokens where I'm receiving them for actions or doing something, well, now I have them. Mm-hmm. And if I keep them, they're not just going to go up in value. Mm-hmm. There aren't people hoarding their loyalty points in their apps from buying coffee because they think they're going to be worth more. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's actually quite the opposite. It's, as soon as I get enough to spend something, I'm going to go use it. Mm-hmm. So that's a really great example of something where as this technology evolves, when people start to have cryptocurrency that they didn't have to buy – Wow, that does get really interesting. If I could start spending this very quickly and cheaply and effectively, that could move the needle a lot. Really interesting. I do want to pass a little bit over your origin stories a little more. I'm only slightly familiar with it, and that's not common because we do sort of see everything uh, here at here at CoinDesk. We have a pretty good bird's eye mm-hmm. view on uh, on how people are are getting funding and and, and that kind of stuff. So when I first met you, I was surprised that you guys had uh, raised and, and done some pretty interesting things. And I'm telling you, we do go into the SEC filing system and, and, and have a look on what's going on so that, so that things like this don't slip by us. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you guys took a novel approach. Uh, so please uh, describe it. So Yeah, we took a little bit different approach, I guess, in that um, we are looking at building this network that we think can impact you know, millions or billions of people. Like, this is something that we're very, very passionate about. And we've also, not to kind of get connected to some of just the ICOs or, or some of how people are approaching Get Rich Quick or a lot of just the those sort of, we didn't really want to get connected to a lot of that early on. And then more importantly, we, we just kind of had this mantra of um, over, over deliver on everything and under promise. And we, we didn't need to go out and and just talk openly about all these things that we are going to do. Uh, we want to do it. And then when we have that, uh, we can then talk about it. We want people to share and use the product that we have. So we kind of very early on took that approach of, of really, really building, being legitimate. Not only just that, our, our really big partners that we've talked about a little bit. Like when you get a national partner, uh, we don't have chances to to go out and promise something and do something the wrong way. We want to do it right from the beginning. Uh, these are relationships that we have, and we know that we can deliver on it. And so building all of that and trying to get the right partners involved and doing things in the, the most compliant way and the most um, long-term way, I think, is even more of looking at it. It's like this is not something like we all have the aspiration of this is something that could be transformative. If we really want to enable this new type of payment system and a new payments network and bring merchants closer to consumers. That's a really big vision. And to be short-sighted and try to do a public sale of tokens and just kind of ask for forgiveness later on some of these things and just move as quickly as possible and burn a few relationships here and there, like that was just not ever part of our culture or something that was interesting to us. So kind of moving forward, we wanted to Find the right partners, uh, whether it's investors, other types of business development partnerships, supporters, and spend a lot of time finding those people and the people that would be really impactful to us. And yeah, we did that, which is trying not to have too much fanfare because it's really been our mantra of just completely over deliver on this in every way that we can. Thanks a lot, Tyler. All right, thank you. 
That's it for episode four of Road to Consensus. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the content, you can get a lot more of it if you register for Consensus at Consensus2019.com. Listeners can also use the code ROAD200 and get $200 off a ticket. Join us for our next episode with guests Christopher Giancarlo, outgoing chairman of the CFTC. See you at Consensus May 13th to 15th in New York City. Thank you.